Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer Podcast. My name's Graham Smith and I'm joined here today by Tom Francis. Hello, Tom. Hello. Chris Thurston. Hello. Chris Thurston, video editor, that is, now. Thank you. That's very exciting. It is, isn't it? And Tom Senior. Hello. You are Tom Senior. News editor now. News editor, yes. Oh, yeah. Look at us being all advanced and stuff. Indeed. Leveling up. Ding. And we're here today (laughs) to talk about PC games. Now, Tim's not here today, sadly, which means I'm in charge, which means this is going to be a total shambles. (laughs) I don't remember how this works. I did this once before, three years ago. But I think we should start with the Steam sales charts. Yep. Should we do that? Indeed. Yep. That sounds like good. Like good. Let's do it. This is very prepared this time because Chris is now in charge of these things. He's part of, <laughs> he's part of his video editor title. So we've got printouts and everything. Those are very fancy. <laughs> Colouring in comes after this. and uh, You need to get some letter headings on. for these. Yeah, and next, like, we'll have a nice policeman in to explain road safety. That's good. I like that the advanced version is having it printed out on a piece of paper, whereas the old-fashioned version was looking it up on an iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is the fact that I don't own an iPad that I've had to print this out. We're going wrong way up to tech. It's the future. So number 10, then, in the Steam sales charts is Gemini Roo. That's an adventure game? It is. Yeah. Like an indie adventure game, yeah. yeah set in awesome. like a almost Blade Runner-esque. Yeah. Quite a lot of Steel Sky. Noir. Yeah. It's not new, so I'm guessing it's on sale. Yeah, I guess it must be. It's very good, though. Mm-hmm. It's also very pretty as well. Yeah. It's, just, it's kind of uh, it's set in a cyberpunk world where you, you play two separate characters, I think. I think there's uh, a guy who's in prison and he's uh, mm. got amnesia like every single game character ever. But there's also another detective guy on the ground, I think. I, I've, I haven't really got that far into the story, but it seemed like a really interesting setup. And the idea is their stories entwine and there's this overall mystery that leads you through this gorgeous cyberpunk kind of hand-drawn world. And, it, yeah, it's just a beautiful adventure game. It's lovely to see it doing well on Steam, really. Yeah. It probably costs around three quid on Steam right now. <laughs> and I'm fairly sure we gave it a very high review score. So I'm going to say people should go buy that. Mm, I think so, yeah. Uh, number nine is Dead Space 2. I played that. And it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> was it more or less okay than the first Dead Space? It's probably better, but it's so goddamn similar that, like, I played through all of Dead Space 1 and I actually. I kind of really enjoyed it, like not as a kind of horror game, but just as a satisfying cut things up game. <laughs> it's just about like hacking through things. If you try and play it as like a as a survival um, horror or just as like a sort of straight shooter, you just use this uh, plasma cutter thing that you get as your first weapon that can shoot limbs off, and the whole game's basically designed around that. It's all about like oh, you got to shoot the limbs off because shooting in the head doesn't do anything. Mm. And since that's the structure of all enemies, having like the assault rifle later on is basically useless. And all these other more advanced weapons aren't as good as a plasma cutter. Hmm. So you just shoot everyone's limbs off and it's kind of boring. But uh, I just played it from a like pure cutting things up perspective. And there's <laughs> a thing called the Ripper, which is just a circular saw blade that shoots out of your gun and then hovers there, like cutting through stuff. So as it's like, it feels like using a chainsaw on things. So it's just going, and there's blood splaying everywhere and the limbs are flying off. And that was cool. Um, and the display suit didn't add like a harpoon gun that's kind of cool. Um, but it's still, it's so focused on the horror thing, and so it thinks it's so scary and edgy and cool, and it's not. <laughs> but it's very pretty. I've heard it described as like the aliens to dead space alien. <laughs> That's a weird sentence, but I'll go with it. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, but I mean, wasn't the point of alien that, you know, she was fighting just one alien in a he's dark and close space. spaces. Yeah, whereas yeah, he's Maybe in the, the first aliens. game, I played the first error of that, and I'm fairly sure I killed mm. 20 to 30 things at least. Hmm, fair enough. But apparently there's lots of other characters, and it's a lot less kind of isolated. And... Yeah, it's set in the city, the second one. Yeah. But it's a very enclosed city, so it's basically like, it feels a lot like the, okay. the ship in the first it game, was, wider. There's this 
stupid fictional religion in it, Unitarians, and it waffles on and on about what uh, they believe in, and I just don't care. <laughs> Isn't the Unitarians an actual Yeah, I think that's an actual religion. <laughs> one of those made-up religions. <laughs> one of those stupid ones. Space God. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Is Although it possible the one in Dead Space is called Unitology? Maybe. No. I feel like Dead Space 1 must be fictional. I feel like really... yeah, they could have possibly attacked, like, they were mad the possible. people doing that religion. Was the Unitarians perhaps the one in that Simpsons episode where they got in a car? I've definitely heard of the that, Unitarians before. Yeah, so have I. So it's either reality or the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah I can't tell the difference anymore. I think it is Unitology in Dead Space, which okay. it might be like a Scientology kind of joke. Yeah, that sounds like as soon as it's given the presentology, they, yeah, they yeah. worship a giant obelisk, don't they? In Dead Space. Mm. The yeah, I'm obelisk. sure there isn't a real religion that worships a giant <laughs> no, space obelisk. Not yet. No. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> number eight. Number eight is Serious Sam Three BFE, which I haven't played. Um, that's, is yeah. that the proper sequel? That's not that's, the, the. It is the proper sequel. That's the, yeah. Uh, yeah, I played a bit uh, in co-op with Owen, and after 20 minutes, felt like I'd kind of seen everything that game is about. It, it's just backpedaling with an enormous gun shooting uh, enemies that have no right to be that big uh, about like dozens and dozens of them and then you destroy them and then more come and then you get a bigger gun and do the same thing on a bigger scale over and over again uh, which is like it's really satisfying the guns are big and stupid uh, and the enemies explode nicely and basically mm. that's the game and it's quite funny there's someone you think there's like up to eight player co-op and quite a good survival mode worth kicking around hmm. Unitarian is almost a Christian <laughs> theological movement. Oh, God. Sorry, Christian. <laughs> oh, yes, no. uh, apologies <laughs> for that. Um, Does it have unitology? Uh, I haven't Googled for that yet, but we'll come back to Fact it. Fact checking, everyone. What no. I just did is the religious equivalent of confusing Scientology with science. <laughs> <laughs> science, that made up religion. Indeed. N- number seven is Skyrim, which we almost don't need to comment I've on. I've heard that's a good point. game. Yeah, yeah. Really good. Number six, though, is Sniper Elite V2. Oh, God. <laughs> This will be pre-orders, yeah? I guess it must be, because yeah, it's not it out be, yet, yeah. is it? It's like, oh, or unless it came out Tuesday or something. Quick. Uh, I played, I've played the demo of it. I didn't like that very much. <laughs> it wasn't very good. And um, it's just sort of gross and fetishistic about gore and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, the the videos and stuff they've been putting out beforehand really bother me in mm. terms of just... It's like an x-ray of a man's testicle. Just, and yeah, yeah, yeah. just like shooting a man in the face and oh, look at the bullet ripping apart his brain. Look how unpleasant look. it is when this happens. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it sad that men die? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But the game itself, there wasn't really any need in the demo, at least, to be stealthy. You just you shoot the first guy you see and then the AI is bad enough that all the men <laughs> will just run to that same spot to cover and so you just sit there aim down your escape shooting them all one by one um, they don't die in one hit which feels really odd for the kind of game it is you yeah. shoot them in the torso and they just keep daka 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 they respond though do they like oh I've been shot once they flinch Extra or sometimes they, they run away and they carry on shooting <laughs> but there's no it doesn't, mm. it doesn't feel that satisfying and, does that mean yeah. you can shoot a man in the heart and you wouldn't die <laughs> yes yes it does which is which is weird because the, the videos made it look like it was going to fetishize violence way more than the game actually does. <laughs> because, I was disappointed. Like, you occasionally you get you know the, the proper kill cam slow motion mm. and that's fetishi- fetishizing the violence, but the rest of the time it just feels like any other FPS where you're just mowing down dozens and dozens of guys. Yeah, but if you're going to like model the inside of someone's body for the purposes of doing a slow motion mm. bullet going ripping it apart bit then presumably you might as well tie that to gameplay and have the heart be kind of important or mm. the brain be kind of important or the testicles valuable or, or something, you know what I mean? Like, 
I think what all the videos did is make it look like killing a person was a big deal. Like it yeah. goes into slow motion and that's actually a momentous event. And so and, and you think of the fantasy of being a sniper as kind of what it's about, you know, if you're going to assassinate a specific target. But then the game just reveals that, no, they just people don't matter. They're just fodder to be killed. It's a shame. The yeah. multiplayer stuff they announced actually sounded really cool, but that's turned me off it a bit, what you just said. Oh, well. Maybe the actual game is better, and I've just horrifically slandered this we'll thing. Find That's out, quite good. We? But uh, number five is Prototype 2. Mm. Yeah, I haven't played it yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> I, I uh, played it um, at an event, and yeah, it was really fun. It's very similar to the first game, which I liked. Um, it has exactly the same rhythm and the same sort of weird kind of floatiness to the way you run up the sides of buildings with no kind of heat to it. You're kind of like in this very explicitly video gamey world. Um, and to an extent, I think the, the amount of gravitas they're trying to attach to that story. Um, <laughs> they are it, taking it way too seriously. They are taking it way too seriously. Um, in the marketing, anyway. Are they doing it in the game as well? N- well, there is an aspect of the, you know, the re-emphasizing the story this time around. But I mean, the first game had first game. <laughs> the first game. The, story. the first game had very, um, you know, sort of sincere cutscenes and things. But actually, there's bits of the game I actually kind of like, like the way they used live action footage for the flashbacks when you go into when you take over some like a key target and you see their memories and things and you see like a flash of like live action FMV basically like that felt at least it's a different. real human who I just ate <laughs> yeah exactly and they, they really want to do this thing and I, I interviewed the uh, producer and I said you know you, you want people to really feel something but you do spend a lot of time in this game either accidentally killing civilians or just actively throwing them in the sea <laughs> yeah that, that's how I played post, the first prototype yeah sort of great the throwing powers and uh, you can throw people out, out of the city. If you could stand right on the tallest building in the <laughs> yeah. middle of the city and throw them out of it. Yeah. I used it's to just a power trip. Yeah. disguise myself as an old lady and then go around jumping on people so hard that I surf on their corpses. <laughs> yeah, you still do that. There's a new Got thing Got about 300 do. screenshots of that. Where you like you shoot like a virus dart bio-horrible thing into an enemy which makes them explode in these sticky tendrils that go up like oh, dozens of metres in either side, grab everything that's kind of can be moved in the environment, physics-based, or stick to buildings, and then all contract suddenly in this kind of like vortex of like, sort of like tent- tentacle implosion thing. And it's the worst horrible way of killing any. Like, it's like, that's... The, how do you play like a sympathetic character that that's the way he chooses <laughs> yeah. to dispatch his enemies? Like, not like the sniper thing, I'm just going to silently eliminate one guy. Like, yeah, yeah, revenge solves everything. <laughs> Worse than snipers, I believe, is, yeah. is our verdict there. Uh, the religion in Dead Space, our fact editor just told me, is unitology. You're Yay. right. Yay. Uh, and the one in the Simpsons episode was movementarianism. <laughs> <laughs> Simpsons is funny. Yeah, yeah. Simpsons, good work. <laughs> they were a sect that wanted to go to space. They were building a spaceship. <laughs> but anyway, number four is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. You play more of that than yeah, you, Tom. I've uh, got a bit of a Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 multiplayer habit going uh, I tend to play it at lunch times because it's very, very easy to dip into it very, very quickly, which is actually, among shooters, surprisingly rare to actually be able to press go on the game and be in the game shooting things within, like, two minutes. Mm. And actually, I think that's a really useful thing, like, the, the kind of mood you're in when you want to just jump into a shooter, you just want to get straight into the action. Uh, Tribes does this very well, but you still have to go through through those setup screens where you've got to pick your class, then you've got to mm. pick your setup, and then finally you're in a game. Um, Modern War- Warfare 3, you just jump in, and it, the speed with which it populates the server you're on, it just goes bong, and then so there's 20 people there, and then there's a 20-second countdown, and then you're in and you're shooting people. What they did right with Call of Duty was being really, really popular. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. Uh, it's also that they're using the same engine, basically, that they've been using for six, seven, eight years now, mm-hmm. so it's incredibly fast to load everything, yeah. <laughs> and it's, just, it's been very well polished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, know, you, you get the same experience if you go back and you try to play 
Counter Strike 1.6 eh, on, a, on a, a brand new machine. Not um, yeah, 1.6, mm. and just because it's so quick to load the levels now, as compared to what the minute you used to have to wait. Mm. Still, um, one of the main reasons I persisted with it was that I kind of wanted to discover if there were hidden depths to Call of Duty. Like it is the biggest shooter in the world mm. if you can count consoles. And I was wondering, is there some secret to it that? I haven't discovered yet that actually has made it so popular. Is, this, is there some mechanics somewhere in there that I just haven't unlocked yet that will, will make it incredibly addictive and interesting? And uh, that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> it really is just running, running around shooting people, uh, just complete twitch reactions, and that, that's the game. And you get shot in the back, and then you respawn, shoot someone else in the back, and then you get shot in the back. And that's, that's what Call of Duty is like, and there's pretty much not yeah, much more to it. Yeah, that's my impression. <laughs> that's why I don't play it at lunchtime. Yeah. <laughs> Number three is The Walking Dead, which mm. is the Telltale adventure game. Has anyone here played it? Nope. nope. I've heard it's good, though. I've heard it's I, better yeah. than everyone was expecting. Yeah, I've heard it's... I haven't heard good exactly, but I've heard it's better than some of Telltale's more recent outputs. Yeah, I heard it's actually better than the comic it's based on. Hmm. Oh, mm. I think I heard that from us. <laughs> it's a high praise. No. Okay. Have we really reviewed it? We haven't reviewed it yet, no. Oh, then I read it somewhere else. <laughs> well... That's, That's nice certainly the case. <laughs> that game that we haven't played. Number two is Torchlight 2, which <laughs> is, really is pre-orders. And it's 20 bucks, and mm. you get Torchlight 1 for free, which is very, very generous. And uh, it's obviously been very popular, and it's a very cool move. Mm. And uh, you think, why are they doing this now? Because it's like more than two months off. It's like three or four months off, I think. And then you realise, oh, Diablo 3 is out next week. <laughs> well, next month, sorry. And do you want to be a month before Diablo 3 or do you want to be a month after Diablo 3? Yeah, or do you want to get people playing Torchlight 1 now, really addicted to it? Kind yeah. of mess yeah. Diablo 3 a bit. Because everyone, put it I mean, and then, yeah. now is the time that you do play Torchlight 1 because mm. you're waiting for Diablo 3 and That's you right. can't wait for Diablo yeah. 3. Yeah, it's very clever. It's more best move. of them, actually. There have been a lot of people on our forum for the last six months saying that in preparation for Diablo 3, they've been playing Torchlight 1 <laughs> anyway. Mm. Everyone seems I to like think how of it's, it. Sorry. Like Diablo 3's little brother. Basically. Yeah, a lot of people seeing it as like. It's become the, the sort of the safety net for. <laughs> if there's any reason you bounce off Diablo three, you end up at Torchlight one. So if you can't wait for Diablo three and you know you don't have the beta, then you bounce off and hit Torchlight one. And if you hate Diablo three, if you like object to the real money auction house or the fact that you've got to be online to play single player, uh, almost mm. everyone I see complaining about that is like, I'm just going to buy Torchlight two or I'm just going to play Torchlight one. For me, um, Titan Quest was an excellent uh, replacement for Diablo three. Uh, I spent the last five years kind of expected Diablo 3 to come out within the year so <laughs> I've been pretty much uh, like chained into an action RPG got throughout very that very high period. level in Titan Quest <laughs> yeah yeah really high level in Titan Quest it's got a bunch of friends together what That's, class uh, are you playing that or what um, classes you kind of dual class like the didn't the expansion add the ability to chain two skill trees together yeah, I think you could already do that like the, first one, do that the, the first expansion one. added the dream uh, class yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like a, a dream fighter or something <laughs> I, I was dream and what's the green one dream and dream, dream and leaves basically <laughs> dream and leaves. trees and dreams so that's what I fought oh. with yeah. destroy the armies I of hell I've played this game with those. It, it, it's great um, yeah so I had I a pack of wolves and a load of illusion abilities, which is what Dream gives you. The ability to like, conjure ghosts and scare people and yeah. trick them into attacking each other. It's really pretty. And those guys, well, some of those guys are now doing Grim Dawn, uh, which mm. is a um, similar-looking action RPG, um, which they say is already more fun than Titan Quest. <laughs> and um, they're doing a Kickstarter at the moment, so you can give them money if you want to. Mm-hmm. They, they've shown loads of videos before, and it looks kind of complete. And some people are like, hey, why do you need so much money if mm. this is already complete? But it's like it's not nearly complete. <laughs> they've got like they've done what you should do, which is to create a good representative sample of what the game will look like, but not all of the other content. And so yeah. now they've got to do all the other content, yeah. which is the hard bit. Their website and stuff like that 
her peers quite professional as well and always has done and so people assumed assumed that they were a studio that they had you know 20 30 employees or something like that and now they're doing pr to convince people that no actually there's just two of them (laughs) they're convincing people that they're actually quite unprofessional there's two of them and they don't have an office they work in their bedrooms we don't have a game (laughs) i'm drunk have a studio (laughs) give us money who gives you money uh, number one, which is interesting, is Risen to Dark Quarters. To be fair, there is a massive advert for that all over the front of the Steam. Yeah, it's the Steam it, store. It? And it's a cool image. <laughs> it is a cool image. <laughs> I Pirates, would buy the game yeah. I saw a lot of, um, uh, I think Rich has reviewed that. Yeah, The review's coming out soonish, I presume. The issue out the beginning the, of May, yeah. May 11th, I believe. At all local retailers and um, of I, any kind, <laughs> supermarkets, indeed, <laughs> shoe stores, <Run> <laughs> passes by, you know. Um, but um, from what I saw of it, it looked a little ropey. Mm. Mm. Yes, yeah, it it's it's from the king of ropey RPGs. Yeah, <laughs> just my weather making a pirate one. Lol. Uh, they did Risen One, which was a fantasy world thing. But before that, they worked on the Gothic series of games. Yeah. They did Gothic One through Three, I believe. Um, which are games that always had a very dedicated fan base, but were always known for being quite buggy, yeah, yeah. quite quite ambitious though. Like the yeah, ambitious uh, and yeah. German and poorly translated, <laughs> and have, that kind of thing. And Risen Two seems to continue that tradition. Yeah, I have a Risen One story. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> um, I was told it was uh, we didn't review it very well. Uh, sorry, we didn't score it very well. <laughs> we, <laughs> we were critical of it, I believe. Um, and someone had told me that they, were, uh, they absolutely loved it and it was brilliant and I should play it, so I did. And uh, I got to a, the first town, and it's, a, it's an absolute fucking mess in terms of like quests and stuff. It's completely absurd. It's just, oh, can you get me these cooking ingredients from three feet away? And then there's like another quest that's sort of, talk to these eight different people and find out what each of them wants and then do like six different quests for each of those and then I'll eventually let you through this door. <laughs> um, but one of my quests um, meant I ran afoul of some local thugs who... Um, uh, threatened me and demanded money for me to like progress through the quest like they weren't going to do what this person needed them to do unless I paid them like 10 gold or something and I think I had the 10 gold but I was just like no fuck you and so I fought them and they completely thrashed me because they're just like total badasses and uh, there was the guy who had um, kind of taunted me uh, went back to like leaning up against his house and uh, they left me like lying there and in town uh, there's kind of like a people are a bit more civilised they won't actually kill you they'll just beat you up to do you kind of like pass out when you're on low health you'll be mm. on the floor and you'll lose all your stuff and they can steal it or whatever um, and so I just got back up and uh, drew my sword again and just stabbed this guy I think actually no, I shot him with a, a bow in the head first <laughs> and then he got up and fought me and killed me again because the bow did no damage basically um, and then stole my bow when I was down <laughs> and so I got back up stabbed him with my sword and then he had another fight and knocked me down again and he took my sword so I had nothing left literally no possessions and I just got back up and started punching him <laughs> and he just kept on getting back up like seven times in a row until I killed the guy <laughs> and then took the key off his body uh, unlocked his, um, his private chest and got like his uh, awesome magical mace <laughs> and just went on a rampage <laughs> The only thing I've really seen of, of Risen 2 so far is it has the silliest jumping animation I think I've yeah. ever seen. It's kind of like a... Since Duke Nukem Forever, at least. Yeah, it's got like a... It's like a knee-forward skip. 
Like yeah. he kind of freezes in midair, doesn't he? So yeah, he sails through like the air and it's the normal frames of animation once he's kind of the apex of the jump. And then he alternates which knee goes forward every time he does <laughs> So it looks like this kind of this happy skip. Like yeah. and there's almost no reason not to happy skip everywhere. If <laughs> <laughs> only flowers are blossoming around you as he did. Also, there's a town in it called Caldera, which is destroyed in a volcanic explosion. Which seems to be their <laughs> oh, fault cool, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Rich said that it was a lot like Risen 1 and the gothic games and that it was buggy, but he also said that he, for some reason, couldn't stop playing it. And mm. he played it for three days in the office to review it and then went home that weekend and just played it all weekend for 15 to 20 more hours. <laughs> and he wasn't he wasn't quite sure why exactly, <laughs> but there's something quite Moorish and mm. hookish about it, which I guess is why it's doing quite well on the Steam sales chart. Imagine so. Good for them. Good, Good for them, yeah. yeah. yeah it's nice to see something else that's not one of the big ones. Do you have to wonder if, like... Uh, like hardcore PC RPGs are quite profitable given The Witcher 2 success as well mm. Mm. yeah interesting you do have to that was, <laughs> I mean Risen 2 is number one in Steam sales charts and Witcher 2 is number one in all formats in um, multi-platform retail charts yeah that's true I think the success of The Witcher 2 is really interesting because there's nothing that isn't hardcore PC RPGs ish about that game really is apart it, from maybe the production values yeah, it's, it, it, they built their new engine from scratch, and it's beautiful. Uh, mm. But it is uh, there are elements that you associate with hardcore PC RPGs. Like there's a lot of um, it's not crafting, but you tend, you make potions, and before you go to battle, there's a lot of kind of uh, picking up ingredients and combining them into powerful potions, and that's how you win the boss fights. Is that you actually you get the best <laughs> yeah, potions, yeah. sit down, cross-legged before <laughs> the fight. Um, just get smashed up on all the drugs and plants you've picked up. You for can the only last drink half when you're meditating. Can't That's you? right. Yeah, you have to meditate. You do that. So <laughs> you, you, no fun <laughs> you meditate at a camp a campsite and you eat, eat, eat all the greens you've been picking up for the last hour. Then, you, then those give you the strength and the madness to kill the boss. <laughs> um, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it, it, it is really good. I've been playing it a lot recently. Actually, I've just picked it up because the enhanced edition has just come out, um, which is why it's doing so well on consoles because it's only just come out on consoles uh, a year after release on PC. And CD Projekt has spent the last year updating The Witch Two regularly on PC, like actual. Uh, adding new areas and new characters and new quests and even an arena mode that lets you fight it's kind of survival fighting mode in an arena let you test out your combat skills um, and it's just grown and grown and grown it's actually much bigger than it was at launch uh, and I'd recommend people check it out on the PC now because it's finished I spoke to the guy um, spoke to their level designer at um, the launch event for The Witcher 2 Enhanced Edition and uh, I asked him Look, is the game finally finished after a year of updates? And he's like, "Yeah, we're done with The Witcher 2. <laughs> you know, we've pretty much added everything we want to want to do. You know, uh, we're going to move on to the next thing. So now's a good time to pick it up. It's complete." The Steam charts themselves are actually really interesting because I remember when we first started doing the podcast and we used to do the retail charts based on what we're selling in Game and GameStation and that kind of thing. And of the you know the top ten games, four of them would be. Sims and Sims expansions, one of them would be FIFA, one of them would be Call of Duty and that kind of thing. Whereas this time, you know, Call of Duty is in there still, but number one is a German hardcore RPG, number two is Torchlight 2, which is a quite indie action Mm -hmm. RPG, number three is The Walking Dead, which is an adventure game, like number 10 is Gemini Rue, which is another indie adventure game, Serious Sam is in there. I mean, it's it's an interesting list. It's quite varied. Yeah. It's good. PC gaming is strong. It is, yep. and yeah, and varied and not seemingly not that trend based. Apart from mm. maybe things are on sale, so sales, yeah. sales are good for yeah. pushing. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the reason that those things weren't selling in shops is they're not sold in shops. <laughs> True. Yeah. Also, there aren't any shops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that, as well. That's that <laughs> mystery clear. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, Tom, what have you been playing recently? You've been playing some weird indie stuff, I think. Yeah, I've been playing a bunch of stuff, but um, the literally the last thing I played, I think, is um, a game by chat called Robin Birkinshaw, who is, uh, if you've heard of him, you might know him from the um, Alice and Kev diaries he did, which was the diary of um, two Sims 2 characters, or Sims 3 characters. Oh, yeah, two characters, um, yeah. Who, uh, a father and daughter who were homeless, he just set them up to not have a house and then just followed what happened to them basically um, and wrote a diary of it, which is absolutely brilliant. But he's also a game developer and um, uh, he hasn't kind of released anything big yet, but he's uh, always participates in like the uh, Ludum Dare jams. I think that's actually pronounced Ludum Dare or something. Um, and that's where you have to make a game in two days. And the last one I played was uh, something he did for that in December called Companion. And uh, you're just a simple, like, purple square in a black space um, with these, uh, like, weird blue stars around that are kind of made up of these circles, and then they look slightly organic. They kind of wave their tentacles around. And if you go up to one of those, uh, you ricochet off it like uh, like a pinball pad, like this, this really violent kinetic reaction. And uh, then as you're drifting around, there's some other, like, just bits of junk that you can knock around that don't do anything. There's some little sticky things that attach onto, and you don't really know what you're doing. Uh, and eventually you find a square that looks a bit like you, but smaller. And when you get near to him, he suddenly lights up red, and it, there's this beautiful glow over everything. And uh, uh, that phase, and then he starts to follow you, and uh, he'll kind of like bump into you a little bit, and then he'll go off and like nudge some other things in the scenery and come back to you and circle you and things. And uh, he, he just follows you around, and there's no actual point to it. He <laughs> <laughs> didn't get it finished, um, but uh, he wanted to make something where like you had a sort of friendship with the thing in the game that was expressed purely through movement and that really really works you kind of feel like this thing is is attached to you um in an emotional way rather than a physical way um and because there's no objective i didn't really know what to do with it so i was just messing around and kind of nudging him around and then going clicking these sticky balls that don't do anything and then trying to like stick those sticky balls to him and see how many he could take before he'd like shed them off as with real um, friends yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i do with graham most of the time um and then I was like, well, I wonder if he can die. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, being an experimental kind of game. <laughs> and the only things that do damage are those stars. And you don't really know if they're doing damage. Um, but uh, I tried kind of nudging him into one. And sure enough, he ricocheted off quite violently. So, and then he came back to me. And then I hit him into it again. <laughs> and then I hit him into it again. And about three or four more times. And then he just stopped moving and just drifted. From oh, my oh, and I'm like, uh, you're okay. So I went over to him and uh, nudged him a bit. And he just like ricocheted off me and just drifted into space. <laughs> oh, God. What have I done? <laughs> so then I had to kill myself on the stars. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> but if that, like, if that did have an objective, if your objective was just to pick up those sticky things, say, and uh, like bring them to him. And maybe they, um, like, he had to get 10 or something. Um, and those sticky things were always really close to the stars. So as you were trying to get those back, he'd like bump into them and something. Mm-hmm. If that death had happened accidentally, like <laughs> without me intentionally killing him, it would have been just absolutely heartbreaking. <laughs> There's something so like uh, quietly sad about it because he doesn't explode, he doesn't change color or anything. He's still there, and so you have to check whether he's still alive by nudging him. And you had that moment of just dink. No, but, <laughs> no life. Do you not find it sadder that you you experimented to find out if your friend was mortal? No. Found out that yes, they were mortal. <laughs> And then killed yourself. <laughs> Just standing off ready procedure. That's what scientists do. Isn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was. It, yeah. It's, there's probably some interesting psychology in that, but it didn't. Uh, it was still really sad and like yeah. horrible, and I felt bad about myself, obviously. But I. It was because the only reason I did it was that it was the only thing left to do, and mm. that made it less impactful because it was like, well, okay. okay. I was kind of forced. Yeah, well, that. I'm bored, so <laughs> you've got to go. 
Late last year, didn't Channel 4 fund Roeburkey to make something similar to his Alice and Kay of Diary? Yeah, it was going to be the same kind of thing, and um, uh, I'm not sure what happened to it. It's maybe still in development then. Huh. Chris, what have you been playing? I've been playing a lot of Star Wars The Old Republic, actually. Um, it's kind of been the game I go back to every now and then, having kind of... No, I mean, I've never sort of quit, really, but I've kind of drifted away from it for a few weeks, especially when I was doing lots of Guild Wars content and, and sort of only one MMO in my brain at the time. But um, that game's really good. What <laughs> level are you now? Uh, 50, I'm all done. I've been doing a bit of raiding and, and, and stuff. I don't think the end game is especially long, and I think that's one of the things that people have leveled at it, but it actually works very well for me, and people who don't have a huge amount of time to really commit. And to be honest, I don't like doing content twice. If mm. it's You know what I mean? Um, the idea of running the same dungeon every week Especially when you can do it once a week, I don't. That doesn't appeal to me a huge amount. But getting to see that stuff and some of those encounters and things are, are, are really, really cool. Like there's a a cool uh, raid where your group of eight people walk into a room and there's all these different Sith lords and stasis. And the way the encounter works is that everyone picks one. Basically, everyone picks their boss, and you fight your boss by yourself. And if you help any of anyone else, if you heal anyone else, or you do any damage to someone else's uh, opponent, the amount of damage and healing, the amount of damage you do and healing you can receive is reduced by 100%. So you can be completely what? useless. And the idea is that um, like, um, everyone has to kind of fight their own battle. And the guys that finish first can do one, essentially one thing. Because you can do one thing before you get that debuff. And so there's kind of a little bit of like decision making. Like what's the one thing you can do <laughs> to actually like, what's the most useful thing you can do to help someone? And you've got to pick who you're going to help and you have to do it once. And I think that's, that was really kind of interesting. Kind of before, you, the way play the game. before you go into the fight, do you have to say... No, this is something I need to do alone. <laughs> um, yeah, on Ventrilo, just kind of gravelly. Just <laughs> right now. Um, but genu- genuinely, I think, you know, the game's got a lot of transcendence. It gets a lot of uh, flack, I think, mostly unfairly. I think it's um, when I kind of wrapped up the story quest, it did feel like I'd finished a long Bioware game that took me 250 hours to finish. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, wow. and there's another seven of them in there. <laughs> like, that's why I'm kind of treating it now. It's kind of like, but, like, I'll never not have a Bioware game to play because there will always be Tor. <laughs> It's kind of um, in the it's only 1400 hours of Bioware games. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a lot. At the Legacy update they released recently, uh, they've added this experience boost that you can hand over to other alts. Is this right? Not yet. It's okay. in the coming soon. It's yeah. in the next patch. Um, you will be able to kind of boost your XP so it'll take like, less time and you can just do the story quest or something. Yeah, that, everything that's else. what really interesting. But what's weird is like the family tree thing they've designed is basically completely cosmetic, mm-hmm. right? You yeah. can just decide how your characters are related to one another. This guy's this guy's brother, and this is their son, and blah blah blah. blah. And he's trying to I'm not your father. And, indeed. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, in Star Wars, it's all about family, says the nerd. But you know what I mean? Like, but anyway, like, but it feels really weird because it's such a ma- huge, huge game, and they've built this feature that seems to be designed for me. And the fact that I obsess about that stuff, and I want to know how my characters are related to each other. Does this guy know this guy? If so, how? And, and like normally, I just have to maintain that stuff in my brain. But now I can actually like <laughs> lay it out on a chart that no one else can see. <laughs> Yay! So it's it's like probably totally pointless, but for some reason, I find it incredibly compelling. There's your very professional notes here says it's okay to like. Tor. Yeah, is that? Do you feel like there's a, a significant backlash to the game, or that you're? I think. Persecuted? I think it's, right. This is my theory. My greater internet theory um, is that it was so set up as a, a WoW killer, and it's so similar to WoW in so many ways that I think it's kind of like it's never going to be the underdog, and it's never going to be the grand old patriarch of the genre. So it's kind of found itself stuck in the middle. I think you know the you, you see it in, in, in people the way people discuss Tor. It is always fighting an uphill battle for people's mm. approval and, and the. the you know, competitive like Guild Wars 2, which has a very positive general reception for good reason. But I think there are a lot of strengths of Tor that sort of get washed away by the, oh, it's just like, wow, stuff. 
which is fair, but also, I mean, WoW is a fun game played by enjoyed by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's arguably that Tor maybe takes too much in some ways, but actually, going even playing Guild Wars 2, which has voiced cutscenes, but you don't choose what your character says, and I don't think the... From what I've played, and a lot of this is still in development for Guild Wars, like the writing and the, the acting isn't as good as Tor, and you go back to Tor and suddenly realise, oh, well, that's where all that money went, is in these really good conversations and these cool stories and sounds like you got uh, quite a good deal with the imperial agents as a character I did, yeah um, i think i really landed on the, the good the really good story in yeah because i've had a slightly different experience I've, I've just hit 50 last week with my uh sith juggernaut um she's basically a tank with a lightsaber and her story was quite boring until the final third which i'm just just about to complete now and it was uh, losing that suddenly made it the rest of the experience far more boring as well. Like, yeah. uh, the, I was using the story to actually justify going out and doing the, the side quests. A lot of the planetary quests are quite good as well. Yeah. But I think if you don't have that strong uh, character class story thread, it, the rest kind of starts to disintegrate. Yeah, I saw a new character, which is a Jedi Consular, mm. and I'm still struggling to like him as much because the agent kind of starts out awesome and, and yeah. kind of continues to be awesome, awesome basically <laughs> the whole way through. Because, you're the, because actually you're the underdog in that story because yeah. like, everyone else is this awesome Sith Lord and you're just a dude that works for the government. Like and that's kind of ha- and they do loads of really interesting things with that and it, those really cool twists and it's like they would never make a, a single people talk about it should have been a single player game but they would have never made if they were making a, another Star Wars single player game they would never make one where you just play as some Imperial agent yeah, that does is, that struggles with Sith management styles <laughs> like they would never make that game they would make another game where you're a Jedi and you do this this and this because they need to have they need to tick those boxes yeah, yeah, and the, right. I guess the strength of Tori is they tick all of those boxes with the other classes so with with characters like the trooper or the agent they can just do something they, they can do a, a kind of Star Wars story you just don't get anywhere else they've kind of got they've got more room with those characters to have more fun as well I think yeah. there's only so much you could do with a, a pious Jedi yeah. um, and you can actually just you can actually take the mick out of those guys as an Imperial agent in a way that mm. you, you like they do like a they do like a Ocean's Eleven style heist story mm. they do a awesome. like there's a lot of like being in disguise and betraying people like a terrorism story it's basically like the first act of the Imperial agent is basically Star Wars 24 what I'd really like is for someone to I'm interested enough that I would like, ideally, to play the Imperial Agent through, yeah. and probably the Republic Trooper, just because I could be Jennifer Hale again. Um, <laughs> but I don't actually want to play anything for 200 hours, really, unless yeah. it's I mean, absolutely To be fair, I did do everything. I think but you can do it. So what, I'd, than that. Uh, what I really like is for someone to do, um, like, a movie of it. <laughs> just <laughs> cut together all the cutscenes, and then for each fight, like, fire the first few shots then skip to the end yeah, and uh, just get through the, all the plot stuff so I can see what, how that works out without having to play it because someone did that for all the Unchart- Uncharted games and the reason I'm not playing those is because I don't have a Playstation um, but also I can t- already tell like I mean I play a bit of Uncharted 2 and it's like I wanted to see the next bit of the story I didn't really want to play the next platforming mm. bit um, or certainly not the next shooting bit mm. and uh, yeah they work really well as a movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> great yeah should have made that movie they should have made that movie I mean someone probably will like, and it's like it's kind of a joke that you know every time I play something like this I'm like for fuck's sake just make a movie and get out of your system mm. and it turns out they could have made a movie <laughs> it would have been quite good yeah Tom you've been playing apparently uh, Modern Warfare 3 and The Witcher 2 yeah. which we've kind of already talked uh, yeah, about yeah most talk about those but I've also been playing talk a lot about. of uh, Mass Effect 3 multiplayer oh, oh yeah we have been actually. Uh, yeah because uh, uh, me and Chris live in the same flat and we're on LAN well, uh, obviously it's a multiplayer game but if we were essentially in the next room shouting at each other um, while it's going on which is a great way to play it because it's a co-op survival mode and you fight, uh, you want kind of a small map. There's enough room to move around and, and take different positions. Uh, and you fend off uh, different waves. I think it's 12, how many? 11? It's, it's, it's 11. 11. It's 10 waves. plus an extraction wave. Yeah, we have to get to the end and get airlifted out. And you get to choose the type of enemy you face. So there's a Reaper wave, um, 
Geth. Uh, Geth Cerberus. and uh, Cerberus, that's right. I'm puzzled as the plot justification for that. <laughs> okay, we're going to go to Farbaz 9, yeah. and we're going to fight Reapers. So just make sure Reapers attack us, okay? <laughs> is, uh, they drop justification into the single-player campaign yeah. at various points. So some of the side missions you do in the single-player campaign liberate those arenas. Uh, and at the end, they have a kind of a line that says, well, the, the Reapers are going to keep on attacking this place, so we're going to deploy a special squad there. To Every now and then. Every now and then. <laughs> and that's Randomly basically a squad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But sometimes it will be the right yeah, guys. The service yeah. will attack. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean... I don't think like trying to tie it into the single player game too much is a bit of a. It's a bit like when you when you when you get to level twenty, you can promote a character mm-hmm. who then becomes uh, one of Shepard's war assets, and they, you take your name, and it's like this is so and so, the level twenty Quarian, whatever. Um, and the drill. But um, and but given that most people give their characters really stupid names, yeah. like I don't, like meticulous attention to <laughs> lore appropriate names. But this is but, the like, level twenty engineer. Like, we we started a we started a very fruity drill team, where I was a where I was a green drill, and you were. In a, in a pink coat yeah the, the drivers are a very sassy race that's what we learned in Ma- <laughs> they're like, very flamboyant yeah I mean in Mass Effect 2 um, you know Thane always had his kind of uh, had his, his bare chest, chest his bare chest and he had the, his justification was I have a fatal disease I need to breathe better yeah. that's, that, that's not, that was nonsense we learned yeah. in Mass Effect <laughs> all drill <dressed> fabulously <laughs> yeah, it's fabulous. just their style also like they, every, they somersault everywhere as well yeah every race sort of dodges differently yeah. so like a sorry teleport and like mm. but drill just do backflips like, yeah. f- like they can't wheel around so them. we've <laughs> discovered that we could celebrate very flamboyantly between waves by just like cartwheeling past each other yeah cartwheeling past each other I love the idea to take cover sorry just teleport that's right I've got to move three feet teleport um and Come then, on, you're just abusing your biotic ability. <laughs> they just added uh, Batarians and, and Geth, mm-hmm. and every every race has a different like heavy melee move, like a kind of charge up attack. And some of them are really cool. Like Turian has like a double bladed Omni Blade thing, and and um, and but the the, the Batarian has the slowest punch I have ever <laughs> seen. Like oh, he, it's supposed to be charging it up, but all he does is punch people, and the, <laughs> and, and nobody uh, that I understand actually needs to charge up. Winding up, like, um. and, and so he just drags his arm very very slowly behind his head, and then Four he hits kind of like yeah. whoop, and. It's it, it's genuinely like he's forgotten that everyone else isn't moving in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to enter bullet, he's, trying, he's trying to enter bullet time, but no one's following yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like he's doing his own bullet time. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and we, we tried to uh, check this out, guys. Yeah, we discovered a thing where if you try, try something to high five. Yeah, if you uh, do it at the same time as the Corians kind of backhand, they can do this kind of awesome high five. Like the Batarian puts his hand up. Yeah, and then yeah, uh, the timing is incredibly difficult, but it, trust me, the payoff is worth it. Yeah, you're taking this more seriously. That's our top tip for uh, yeah. Mass Effect: is uh, try and do the Corian Batarian high five. Yep. Anyway, we've <laughs> also all, all together in the office, ex- excluding Chris. Yep, uh, <laughs> been playing Cobalt. Hey, uh, Tom. Yes, <laughs> you, you described this game. It, You're good it's at incredible. That. I played it very briefly when it came out. Well, when it so Cobalt is by a bunch of people at Oxide Games, um, who are also based in Sweden, along with Mojang. And Mojang are publishing um, Cobalt, uh, which is why you may have heard of it. Uh, so Notch has been a big supporter of it, and. Uh, I'd seen videos of it before and it looked really cool. It's all—it's a side-on um, kind of soldat-style uh, platformer where people are jumping around and shooting each other. Uh, you can play at co-op or deathmatch, and uh, it looked awesome in the videos they'd shown. And then when they—they they opened it for up for alpha pre-order, where you you know, pre-order and you get the alpha. Um, and I played it briefly and it felt really good to move around, but the actual like there wasn't much for me to do on my own. Like I was shooting some enemies, but it wasn't that interesting. Mm. Um, and so I kind of put it on the shelf. And then Owen fired it up in the office, and we all plugged in. Uh, 360 pads and played on the same screen um, in deathmatch, and uh, again it was it was good and it felt cool and it was uh, um, it seemed like it was probably a good game but we didn't really understand it and we didn't 
have that much fun on the first round. You just thought, oh, that's cool. Let's try another level. And then at some point, it just clicks, and suddenly you, you understand like what the point of doing a forward roll in midair is, and at what time the game is going to go into massive slow motion for you all, and how to exploit that, and what you can do in that mode, and how bullets can deflect each other, and how um, grenades are detonated by certain things. And uh, suddenly it becomes just this incredible action movie thing where, like, Graham killed me once uh, when we were both flying through the air and you can't really aim your shots, so you have to either trust that the game is going to auto-aim or uh, do what Graham did where when he was above me. I couldn't shoot him because um, I couldn't shoot directly up. So he did a forwards roll and then waited, because it was going in ultra-slow-mo, uh, waited until he was facing downwards and fired <laughs> at that particular point in his forwards roll and blew me up like that. And... Uh, it's the slow mo basically depends on how many kind of close calls are happening. So when a bullet comes close to you, it'll go in slow mo. If a bullet's coming close to two of you, it'll go into extra slow mo. Mm. And if a bullet comes close to two of you and a grenade's about to blow up next to Owen, and then someone else is in trouble, mm. it'll go into ultra ultra <laughs> slow mo. And you just like, uh, it's not just a cinematic effect. It actually means you can think about what you're going to do here. And then uh, hang on, my trajectory is going to collide with that grenade. I want to back off here and then try and shoot something. Sometimes you'll do like a really good shot and think, oh, this is brilliant. It's going to go all the way across the level and it's going to hit this guy just in midair and it's going perfectly. And then so much dramatic stuff happens that the game slows down enough that he notices that's going to happen mm. yeah. <laughs> and then turns around and like a certain type of energy weapon you can just shoot the shots out of the air and if you shoot an in incoming bullet it will kind of turn it around and go back towards the person who fired it and uh, yeah it's just incredibly dramatic and cool that's a very good description of that game <laughs> uh, there's, well, there's stuff I like it's a, a game which has a lot of unpredictability to it because there's so many elements going on and there's a, the movement's very fast sometimes very slick and there's jump pads on certain levels and you've got some levels give you um just your fists and, and these kinds of things. And so when you're playing around with four of you, it gets quite chaotic. And like you'll drop a grenade and it'll bounce off one of the jump pads and get launched into the air and that kind of thing. But I love that they get around all that chaos just by making it slow motion. Yeah. And that something <laughs> yeah. just makes it very, very It's quite cool. useful because they, um, they draw small yellow squares around threats uh, when mm. it goes into slow motion. And that, that is just a really simple trick that actually lets you see where all the inc incoming threats are. And my favourite weapon is the taser. Uh, which we just happened to start one of the levels with the taser. We all had tasers. And the, I think you can aim the taser in 360 degrees using uh, the right stick. Okay. Way better if you play with a pad. Uh, which So it lets you kind of... Go, uh, if you're flying through the air and you're near someone, you can kind of get a, choose the direction of your thrust and actually take mm. them out with a degree of skill. And also, you just look awesome. That's mm. We're all just kind of shouting and uh, all this kind of slow motion action that was going on. It's really weird and weirdly dramatic. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there's um, something that makes uh, the levels particularly cool is that they get to decide in the level design what weapons you start with and what weapons are obviously scattered around. And they're very, very different. So the first one we played just had like, I think I only had one gun on the level and then there were some grenades around. So everyone's picking up grenades and throwing those. Often we'd be completely out of ammo. We'd just be like punching each other and then someone get the gun and kill like five of us. And then the level we played most was one where you all start with like this energy rifle, which is the one where if two bullets collide in midair, it reflects them. Mm. Um, and like a lot of weapons, has a very limited range, but when it hits that range, it explodes with a splash damage thing. So often you're kind of caught in the blast radius of another uh, of an explosion, and that explosion catapults you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when everyone starts with that weapon, everyone's firing it all the time, and those, the air is just full of these red energy balls that are constantly exploding, reflecting each other, and sending people flying. And uh, so that's totally different to then the other the other level where there's like two pistols, a uh, special like powerful rifle, a rocket launcher and a grenade launcher scattered around so everyone's firing different things and yeah, it's really cool. 
How much does it cost? Does anyone know? I bought it, but I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's like Minecraft. It's going to be it's cheap now, and then it'll go up mm. by five dollars, and then it'll go up by another five dollars. Mm. I think it's ten bucks, maybe. Okay, I think people should buy that. Chris, you haven't been playing Cobalt, but you have been to see Dishonored. I did go to see Dishonored. Um, yeah, that game looks really, really good. You went to see Dishonored in a room where the King's Speech was filmed. And <laughs> it was, and, but yeah, so um, the, the interviews and stuff, you can check out the interview on the website, plug, um, was filmed in that room. And then they had an adjacent room which they'd set up. And normally I'm not a huge fan of like themes on these events. Like I want <laughs> yeah. to see the game and maybe play yeah. the game and maybe talk to a man. Like that the made the game. No, doctor <laughs> <laughs> man, a man. Um, but yeah, meet a straight. You know, make a friend. Like all these things. But um, normally, like you know, if we just hung some camo netting up, and like that's uh, you're not gonna nah. But um, they'd sort of done it up as, and the, the level we saw was set in this kind of like very like lavish brothel bathhouse, and they'd um, done this already very kind of louche building um, in London up to kind of accentuate that. <clears throat> Sorry, and then put loads of paintings up that looked completely like they belonged to the environment. It took me a little while to notice that it was all the portraits they have in the game. They'd just done them in real life and put them around. So it was actually genuinely cool. And the art in that game, which, you know, given that it's Viktor Antonov and uh, Sebastian Mitton and that team that did Half-Life 2 and, and, you know, really, really fantastic art design actually justifies the going to that extent of decorating the venue with that stuff because it is one of the strongest things about that game. It's just how beautifully designed it is. Like they paid a Russian painter to do one of the famous pictures, which is like the Lord Regent walking down the stairs. They got a you know proper like a watercolor painter to do that hmm. um, because I was paying so much attention to it. Um, so that was really cool. But yeah, we saw it in this in this thing. We saw the, uh, a level where um, Corvo, the assassin main character, is um, trying to take out two targets in this bathhouse. They did it twice. They did it um, stealth, and then they did it action mode, really. Um, but to be honest, what impressed me, and I think the reason people should be excited about it, especially people who like Deus Ex, <laughs> and maybe didn't think that Human Revolution was all it could have been, or even if they did, is there was a lot of room within the concept of what a stealth playthrough is to still kind of express yourself. It wasn't like kind of like you've done it the stealth way or you haven't. It's like you can do it the stealth way and pretty horribly murder your targets. You can do it the stealth way and make their deaths look like accidents. You could do it the stealth way and not kill anyone at all, including your targets. And there seems to be... <laughs> Isn't that just mission failure? <laughs> <laughs> it's how you arrange it. So in the, in the case of the, the demo, um, they told us that each mission is in two parts. There's the actual like uh, assault on the location, like the target location itself, and then there's like some streets outside or something which have side missions and, and other stuff you can go and do, which I don't think it has like a hub area, like a city like Deus Ex. I think it has little mini hubs for every mission okay. instead. And in those hubs, you, how you work through those hubs... It, dictates how you approach the mission itself so the second playthrough the action playthrough started on the rooftops uh, outside and they ran and jumped towards the rooftop um, whereas the first one started on the streets and they get wet, they possessed a rat and ran through the vent um, but apparently it's possible in the, the opening half of that mission to set things in motion that allow you to have both of your targets sent to work anonymously in their own silver mine <laughs> <laughs> which serves the justice like you're on a revenge quest basically and the idea is that you know the kind of the, the justice you're going for is still served the people you need to eliminate are still gone but you get your pacifist playthrough it's not a, you know, a forced boss <laughs> fight where you have to kill someone that's yeah. pretty cool um, and, yeah. and at the very least it shows that I mean the guys behind it it's Harvey Smith who was lead designer of Deus Ex and uh, Raph Antonio who designed Dark Messiah Might and Magic mm-hmm. um, and uh, Arx Vitalis, Vitalis but that. I think Dark Messiah is probably the one you see more of in yeah. the melee combat and stuff like that um, like those guys obviously know exactly what the kind they are the kind of guys that like those games and you know people who who really really like their their accent or, or um, thief whatever have mm. a particular idea about the amount of freedom you should have and 
they don't seem to be like forcing too many things or cutting too many corners when it comes to giving you power, and that's really cool. Obviously, the proof is in when we finally get to play it. So that massive yeah. caveat, this just was a demo, but it was live, and, and you know, it was um, there were little mistakes and things that showed that it was live. They made a big deal when they announced the game of not worrying so much if it's possible to break things or if yeah. there's a slight kind of... Um, because they want to make the player very powerful and let you possess everything, mm-hmm. even if it's redundant and there's no point to it. And so they, they give the example of you can possess a fish in a fishbowl. Yeah. And there might be no game advantage to that or reason <laughs> for it. it yeah. But you, just, yeah. you can possess any organic thing, mm-hmm. so that's part of the rule set. Um but the far more interesting thing that came out of your trip was that the tall boys, those yeah. huge mm. mechanical stomping walker things. walker things, are controlled by a person. So you can just possess that person and then stomp around yeah. using the tall boys. The, the, the kind of the gameplay thing is that the more advanced the organic thing you're taking over and the more technical thing you're doing with that organic thing, mm. the shorter amount of time you actually have. So a tall boy who's this dude sort of in this massive suit that's presumably a very kind of difficult thing you don't get a huge amount of time with him uh-huh. you get l- longer with uh, a guard or someone mm. and much longer with a rat or a fish or something like that um, the, the coolest <laughs> yeah, example time you like with the rat <laughs> the coolest example is because the moment they, they told us you can possess people the first thing that sprang into my head was why don't you just possess your targets mm. like and that seems to me to be the, exactly the kind of thing and I said this in the preview that that's, that's where a game would come in and say, oh, all of the most important people in this world have a chip brain in their protection. brain, have brain protection, <laughs> and it won't work. You know what I mean? They come up with the game. Like, I, 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 the I kind of cause everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the tinfoil helmet that stops them from being mind-controlled or whatever. Um, but what they showed us is, um, in one case, one of the targets they took out by like breaking the steam vents, and he's like in a sauna, and they just boil him alive in a sauna, and that's how it looks like an accident. The other one, there's no clear way of making it look like an accident, but he's in this room with a balcony above a river. So you possess him like through the window. Um, and... He's in a room with a prostitute, but walk him out onto the balcony, close the door behind you. Uh, it's like full body possession, so you actually do enter them. Like you are inside, like you're not sat somewhere else where you're controlling them remotely. Like exit him and then push him over the balcony and then run away and hide. And you can see like other people burst onto the balcony and say, Oh my god, he's committed suicide. And that was really, really cool. And you can't just jump off because you would actually die. Yeah, you, if he dies, you die. Like mm. if you're if you're possessing a rat and a guard stomps on you, you're dead. Because you were a rat then. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I choose to be a rat? I think it'd be great if you could possess the goldfish, but you have to get out within 12 seconds, otherwise you'll forget that you were a human. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Get> your <objective. laughs> well, this is my life now, I guess. Who was I, mean, I supposed to kill again? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. Um, they showed us, like, I mean, one of the good things about being a rat is, like, um, it's the city's covered in plague, so... Um, if you're in an area of the city where people are very afraid of the plague, being a rat's terrible because people will just try and kill you straight <laughs> away. But like, if you're most of the time, people won't notice you because there's rats everywhere. And like, overhearing new mission objectives and things is a big element. So you could be just a rat in the corner of a room and be fine just listening, just listening to stuff, just finding stuff out, like completely overhearing the, conversation. The kind of steampunk stuff is all like powered by whale oil or something, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Can you ever possess a whale? Um, I, I don't. We didn't see that. I think if the game, by its own logic, that's going to look at the sea and hit yeah. the possess button again yeah. and again and again. That's ultimately the test of dishonored because if they show you a live whale at any point by their own logic it yeah, should be totally possible to, to possess yeah. it um, <laughs> that would be amazing yeah it would be amazing um, so, long, so, so that's good. that you know, okay so you just, that's what you need to do um, massive possessable whale but then you just leave a happy life at sea just yeah. bellowing revenge is mine but yeah no, it, look, it looks great it's kind of shot right to the top of the games I'm most excited about this year um, to be honest I'm more excited about it than I'm about Bioshock Infinite that's interesting Tom, you went to see Crisis 3. Yeah, I went to the EA showcase, which was um, like everything EA could think of in one room. <laughs> um, so Crisis 3, SimCity, and Medal of Honor, and uh, Secret World, and some other stuff. 
and Crash is kind of the headline one in that we hadn't seen it running before. Um, and I got to see about five minutes of a mission in the Chinatown swamp. <laughs> so, like, uh, after doing the jungles in Crisis 1 and the and New York in Crisis 2, they thought, well, what, what can we pick for Crisis 3? It'd be totally original and different. I know, what about, there's a jungle in New York City. <laughs> they literally just merged the two together. Like, uh, couldn't be a more obvious metaphor for them trying to combine the strengths of the previous two games. <laughs> but uh, I have to say, from what I saw, it was all fighting aliens. It was all in... Not totally linear, but tight areas. It was city streets. Um, and uh, the kind of vegetation and trees and stuff gives them a way to kind of block off routes. Um, and so it was all fairly contained. Um, fighting aliens, there were some new aliens in there, but uh, they were just like slightly bigger and fired fire instead of plasma. <laughs> so that wasn't terribly exciting. Um, and it just looked like it played much like Crisis 2, except that now you've got a bow. And the bow's different in that you can fire from stealth, but... So then I asked them, well, why couldn't you just shoot everyone from stealth then? This is why we limit your arrows. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I can sort of do that, but not for long. Yeah. <laughs> Which, it, it just doesn't seem like they've added anything interesting. Like, they make a big deal of this gun, new gun they've added um, that fires 500 rounds per second. And I thought, well, that's got to be a typo, because it must have been 500 rounds per minute. So uh, Chris said, no, no, there is a gun that fires 500 rounds per second in real life. And then we looked up all YouTube videos of this metal storm thing that fires about, about 45 like, minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 15 different barrels, and it's it just basically fires bit. like a tube of bullets. <laughs> so yeah. there's just constant metal between you and your enemy. And uh, it does all these incredible things. Another thing that fires like 15 grenades a second. Like a million grenades a minute. And uh, then I, I saw the... I got to see the weapon that fires 500 rounds a second in Crisis. And it just goes... <laughs> there's no kick there's no oh, sense yeah. of power it does okay damage <laughs> that's okay. it 500 like, oh, rounds as in a second it does okay damage <laughs> but like you're making a video game like you can tell yeah you can do fucking anything exactly. like, like, just imagine you press that like, trigger and it just fucking exploded like so yeah. <laughs> yeah. just the but, whole but, but like, you recoil that, back mm. you can tell the player anything so I kind of want to make a game where it's like well this gun fires a thousand rounds <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your move crisis <laughs> and then, they, then they're like oh 1500 2000 and you begin like a bidding Nukes, <laughs> uh, an arms race, perhaps, and all they do is go, and that's it. Yeah, it does. The one thing I'll say in its favour is that it. I mean, bows are cool. The other thing I'll say in its favour is that um, putting a jungle in a city is a bit more interesting than a city, mm -hmm. um, and certainly is more interesting than New York, which we've seen quite a lot of in games. Um, and they've said that the they're going to divide it up into seven different districts each of which will have a different natural theme so there'll be like a savanna area of New well, York and the a, future's and a, a lava level ocean slippy slidey ace world yeah lava level and Egypt space level nano world little Egypt nano world, world. Yeah. Nano. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that they've called it the nano dome even though nano is really uh, small the, and it's really big they've called it the liberty dome I think the dome over New York we call it the nano dome the nano dome is the class of thing there's lots of nano domes and the one over New York is called the liberty dome okay that's still dumb in describing how they came across the idea for Crisis 3 they said well we knew we wanted to do some kind of dome over some kind of city <laughs> so they picked nanodome over New York City <laughs> well, what, why did what's the dome why why, why? <laughs> they like domes they wanted to do a dome how does international, dome, how does international law work in that world yeah, you can have Canada if you build a big enough dome around it it's all yours <laughs> put aliens in it whatever you want it, 
Like, the, the story is that the Cell Corporation have sectioned off the cities into domes to contain the alien threat, okay. and they're curing the alien threat, or cleansing the alien pollution, as they call it, by accelerating the growth of plant life. <laughs> what? <laughs> Eventually, they'll get really sick of plants well, and leave. So they've, they've literally got towers that are turning Crisis 2 into Crisis 1. <laughs> <laughs> this tower spreads a bit of Crisis 1 into this Crisis 2 area. How, do the plants attack the alien? Like, how does that work? <laughs> well, well, it's vegetation, so naturally, like, yeah, they okay. just explode when they sit. <laughs> And, and they seem to be fine, by the way. Like, we yeah, yeah, cool them in the jungle and they're just running around and they're, yeah. they're and cool with the it. The thing that I like about the Crisis 1 and the thing you go to Crisis 4, I think, is, like, spectacle happening in the distance. I think very specifically, hmm. like, watching that mountain fall apart to reveal yeah. a spaceship yeah, in cool. 1 was awesome. And it's still actually very cool. I played that game only recently, actually, last year, and, like, it still stands up. It's like, that is a spectacular thing to see. Um, Crisis One is filled with those movements, yeah, moments of like, okay, we're going to do a, a Bruckheimer yeah, action totally movie is. and actually get the scale of it right. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's lots of other games that are as stupid and kind of action packed, but they don't do the scale of holy, holy, shit. holy yeah. shit, that mountain's actually crumbling apart and there's an alien mothership yeah. inside, or holy shit, we're actually going to drop a nuclear bomb and Watching all the these boats are yeah. going to, you know, get pushed back yeah, by that the waves and the ripple effect. Yeah. And also, like when that the big alien ship comes out to sea at the end over yeah. your aircraft carrier, yeah. and, like, that's a huge moment. And like Crisis Two, only had one moment like that I can think of, and it just didn't have the same impact. I think maybe because it's set in New York, but it had the moment where Central Park takes off. <laughs> <laughs> Like, and you're like, okay, I know, I know you're trying to top yourself up here, and you're trying to go, oh, you, mountain falls apart. Well, I'll give you one bigger. Park can fly. <laughs> like, it is just like environmental <laughs> object plus state thing you don't expect environmental <laughs> to do. So the next one, it'll be like the ocean reads a book. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen them? Um, yeah, I don't think it'll be. Have <laughs> you seen the uh, mod video where they try and recreate one of those uh, Brookhaven moments with a giant chicken? Yes, that's a good video. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, it has all the scale and magnificence of the mountain exploding, except it's a giant chicken trumping (laughs) trumping poor soldiers. I do, I do have a, a real soft spot for the first first game, and I think it gets unfortunately maligned because the second one wasn't that great, and because people didn't like the aliens that much when I think in the first game the aliens weren't that bad I agree with you Graham but at Yay. least they learnt their lesson and got rid of the aliens for the second and third yeah. games oh wait <laughs> the thing, well, is, thing like, is they changed the aliens they made them less like aliens they made, they them, made them more, more bipedal and, yeah, yeah bipedal guys with guns but, uh, I don't think it solved the problem they were hoping to solve no, no but the thing I actually did like about the aliens in, in Crisis is they felt like they were more annoying to fight than people, but they did feel like substantially different enemies. Mm. It wasn't just like, yeah. oh, these are bigger guys with scarier guns. <laughs> it was like, okay, these are scary tentacle monsters or, or whatever. It kind of uh, it kind of took out all of the use for the invisibility mode and stuff. Like, you could trick the humans and you could kind mm. of... Um, before you obviously turned on strength and wrecked everything, you could, there was a degree of stealth there or sneaking up yeah, on yeah. areas and actually casing areas. And there, there was some values of actually you know, getting out your binoculars and having a look at a place before you attacked it. Whereas the aliens, it just turned into a run in and shoot them because they'll see you anyway. You yeah. Know? I didn't I mind that so much. Miss, I just miss punching a shed. <laughs> <laughs> just standing on some shed and just yeah, punching the wall down. <laughs> yeah. It's still a very good superhero game, Crisis One. Yeah. Um, I want to go to the Shadow Dome. <laughs> the Shadow Dome. <laughs> Built a giant shed around New York. It's called the Liberty Shed. Yeah. <laughs> Liberty. Nano Shed. <laughs> if it doesn't end with him punching the, li- the, punching the Nano Dome. <laughs> yeah, God. That's We're crisis. throwing the Statue of Liberty through it. <laughs> We're running out of time a little bit, so I'm going to skip a couple of topics on your list, Chris. I'm sorry. <laughs> and go to the Valve Handbook, oh, yeah. which is a guide that Valve put out there, which is meant for new employees who yeah. are, are joining the company. Uh, is it anyone here read it? I, yes, I have. Yeah, I have not read it all. It's really interesting. It's kind of, uh, it's partly designed to introduce 
new people who join Valve to the way the company works because they're well known for having a flat structure with no managers where if you join the company you're free to join whatever project you want or to start your own project and entice people to to come work on it with you. Uh, the other reason they've put it out is clearly that Valve are trying to recruit new people and there's at least half the book which is just about reasons why you should come work for Valve. Yeah. What do you think of the way Valve work? Do you think other companies should be doing the same thing? I think uh, kind of. <laughs> There's When you hear them talk about it, it makes a hell of a lot of sense and you think everyone else is stupid. <laughs> but all of their... I mean, they're basically... All of it hinges on the fact that everyone they hire can manage themselves. Everyone they hire is good at knowing what they can do. Everyone they hire is motivated to uh, finish something and ship it and you know just get the best thing out they can to uh, players and not motivated by, or at least not at odds with, um, wanting to do their own thing. And you know they're, they're not going to hire people who would rather be in charge of their own project that never sees the light of day than work on someone else's that mm. does like so it only it to the extent that it does work for valve it works because um the people are, are not kind of vain crazy <laughs> auteurs who want to all do their own thing and because then it would just be chaos everyone would start their own project no one would want to join anyone else's and they would all be trying to do their own thing which they can't do alone mm. um and i think some companies would struggle to take that structure on <laughs> due to the uh the nature mm. of the people they hire um, and it's, it's one of the reasons that you, there aren't really any, uh, there aren't many celebrities at Valve. There's Chet and Eric are really revisible because they are uh, they're funny people, so Valve keep putting them out there. Like mm. um, they actually said to me, like the reason they got them to talk at GPC is they just wanted to hear a talk by Chet and Eric, so they sent them out there. <laughs> um, uh, and there's Gabe, but you know every interview with Gabe, is, he talks about high level business strategy, but he does not like the Half Life guy, or he's not like the Left 4 Dead guy, um, and. Yeah, I think it's because people do shift around all the time and they're, they kind of there's no financial incentive to be the leader of any project. Like, you don't get paid anymore for being a project lead. So um, the only time you get paid more is if all your colleagues say, hey, this guy's doing a really good job, give him more money. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, so I think it's it, it definitely, it's a really cool thing and loads of companies could learn something from it. But I think the thing they should learn is not, hey, let's adopt this structure. It's, hey, we really should have hired people good enough that we could take the structure. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you could I don't think you could retrofit that structure onto an existing company no. under any circumstances because you're not going to be able to say, okay, everyone, we're going to equalize everyone's pay. And <laughs> you used to have managing your title. Now you don't. <laughs> yeah. I think there's, I mean, there's a bunch of interesting stuff about Valve. Part of it is that there's certain things that they are bad at. Yeah. And reading this handbook kind of in part explains why. <laughs> like one of the things Valve's really bad at is customer support. They don't mm. do it particularly well with Steam. They take a long time to respond and they're not particularly good at giving people a good response. And if you're a, a company with a completely flat structure, very few people are going to say, hey, what I want to do at this hugely profitable creative company is fix customer support because yeah. that's not fun or exciting. You're going to go work on a game project or wearable computing like Michael mm -hmm. Brash yeah. is doing. Yeah. And so uh, there's that kind of thing. It's also that a company like Valve would normally have by now by now around 2,000 employees so they could do proper support, but they're so stringent about who they hire that they staff up very slowly. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you just need people who can answer phones. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to find, like, a customer support servant. No. Like, you know what I mean? Someone who's just <laughs> amazing at it. Yeah, who can just like, do it all themselves. Yeah. They're quite bad at deadlines as well. 
uh, famously so. And uh, I was thinking about this because they made the allusion to like military structures and current businesses, mm. and how and actually that's actually a really good way of getting things done quickly and efficiently to a degree. Yeah. So like imagine if PC Gamer was just this flat structure, <laughs> and Graham he was like, oh maybe we should do a feature, you know, someone feature feature, and then there's no deadline and there's no structure in place to make sure that happens on time. Mm. There's no consequence for it not happening on time, and you know those rigid structures are good for hitting deadlines quickly. There's yeah. a reason why design by committee is normally a pejorative. It's because <laughs> it's you know normally. Too many cooks yeah. spoil the broth. In fact, we have lots of idioms which are about exactly why this is a terrible <laughs> idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it works really well for Valve in a lot of different ways. But I also think there's an advantage to be to having a crazy auteur be the leader and have everyone just follow him because they're supposed to. Yeah, so it seems to me like this structure is probably the reason that we haven't had episode three yet, to some extent. <laughs> to some extent, but yeah. Is it also the reason that when episode three does come out, it will probably be amazing? Whereas with another company who would definitely release it within one year of episode yeah. two, maybe it wouldn't have been. It is. It is the reason why if episode three comes out, when well, when it comes out, it will be very, very good. But also, I wonder if it's the reason why episode three might be a less interesting game than it could have been if it had been mm. made by a crazy auteur. Yeah. There's a certain like when you polish stuff as much as Valve does, and when you have so much open discussion. It tends to boil away, I think, a lot of the weirdness that you get in some games, yeah. and that's often they, what's most interesting about games. The other thing about their philosophy, is, which is um, very they're very extreme about, is they are very, very data driven. So they don't they want data to inform every decision they make. They always want to be able to say, "We're doing this because uh, this percentage of customers did this in this game, and you know we we tried this, we thought this might be a cool idea, so we put it in in a beta version, and then we found out that people really liked it, or they didn't like it." and therefore we invested in this decision. And so, again, it's the opposite of being an auteur. You don't do anything mm. because you think it's going to be an amazing idea. You try something because you think it's going to be an amazing idea, and then if people like it, then you do it. And uh, that's a very safe way to operate, and it's good to be scientific about lots of these things, particularly accessibility and usability stuff. But I think there's a certain, like, there's a magic to some games that could never have come about that way. You, mm. you could never get it by just, like, if you did a bit of Darwinia and then released it to people and tested it out to see whether they liked it or not, I think you'd probably find out they didn't. And then you'd go back and just do something else instead, and you'd never end up with the finished product that, um, mm. that Darwinia turned, into, turned out to be. I mean, there's a risk with this, type of, with this type of structure is that it leads to projects like CSGO, where, mm. you know, it's... I love Counter-Strike so much and I have some faith in Valve that they're going to make a great game out of this but we spoke to them about it and asked them why are you making it now and their answer was that well numbers of players on Counter-Strike Source and CS 1.6 have started to go down so we wanted to serve that community and you know if you look at that one way it's great it's, you know, they've got this community of players there and they want to be loyal to that community and give them what they want that's really good the other way to look at it is we saw a market opportunity mm. you know, we had no particular great ideas for the next Counter-Strike game but the numbers are starting to go down so we feel like we probably should do something because that yeah. makes good business sense and, you know, you and can, then what they did got a fairly strong backlash from a lot of the so far community. it does yeah. yeah but I think that um Sorry, Chris. You Sorry, I was going to say in response to what you said earlier, Tom, about how this process, one thing it will mean is that when episode three finally does come out, it, it'll be amazing. I do think that expectation absolutely scales with the amount of time a game has been in development. That, that is broadly <laughs> true. And uh, in my imagination, the episode, whoever, the team that worked on episode two could have probably could have turned around episode three, what people kind of had in mind for episode three mm -hmm. in terms of just continuing that story and, and more of that Half-Life 2 gameplay in about a year. 
done it and people would have been very happy with that output and you can argue back and forth on whether the the hopefully fa you know fantastic you know genre pushing game will eventually get years and years and years and years and years later will justify not having that simple closure years ago but I'm not I, so sure I think it's debatable about the expectations thing though because Half-Life like it's been what 2007 was episode 2 I think and so it's been 5 years it was 6 years between Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2 and expectations were very high but they were met and almost instantly people forgot the three years of delays, leaks, disappointment yeah. and frustration. Mm. If a game is good, people tend to forget everything that happened before that game came so out. Blizzard's been about documentary as well recently. Yeah, and if episode three comes out and is... If, if episode three had come out within a year and had been all right and given closure, I think people would have had the same feeling about it that they had after episode one came out, which is that it got lower review scores than Half-Life 2 did. And everyone said, well, it's all right, but it's very samey. It's mostly still set in City 17. You go back inside the Citadel and all that kind of thing. Hmm. Episode two, they took 18 months with, and it got much better results because you know it was further away. If episode three is further away again because they've spent more time on it, I think they'll be rewarded for that. Hmm. But at the same time, I think the, the longer you wait, the more you need to be perceived to be kind of breaking ground with the time mm -hmm. you're taking. And, you know, it's like, obviously, you know, you can forever yeah. was... I mean, it was simply like, people said this, oh, that was a dreadful game. And it was worse than people thought it was going to be, you know, actually, in terms of, you know, actually just having... It wouldn't have surprised anyone if that game had been turned around in a year. You know what I mean? Mm. But, um, but like, as that as time went on with that ludicrous, ludicrous story, you know, the expectation was this actually does have to justify... 15 years I haven't gotten so many 13 years of development now like, and that justification has to be some kind of groundbreaking thing it can't simply be a very good game at that point and there's a problem as well like Valve have been very quiet about um, episode 3 and I think the game that's in people's minds is just so much bigger than yeah. what they could possibly be working like, I think it'll be a very accomplished first person shooter in the Half-Life style <laughs> like and that'll be fantastic but again after this much time and this much sort of slow burning expectation that Valve aren't really responsible for but you know internet will be internet mm. it's tough it's a tough situation to be in paralyzing I would suspect okay let's take some questions from Twitter I have a printout here uh, yes you do they're on the other page Graham there's I think one at the bottom of uh -huh. this page Chris. oh no it printed wrong <laughs> design that printout Chris <laughs> Oh. Scott Westerby asks do you think adventure games are too sticky and slow for today's modern slick and speedy lifestyle gaming <laughs> <laughs> are they too sticky to be slick <laughs> yep are they too sticky uh, as in what, people get stuck sticky? on them is, is, is that yeah, the idea? yeah I guess so I mean they are kind of plodding pace wise if you mm. think of yeah. action games they're, well, they're not a lot of them are just very bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> like puzzle wise this is like a lot of adventure game puzzles are really really bad they're just badly designed by people who aren't very good at designing puzzles mm. <laughs> and, and I think they are because there's like a subgenre of okay you can make this thing that doesn't have any real game mechanics to it but just connects to some aspects of real life logic but most of them it won't mm. and so most of the things you try won't work and then there's one thing will work and uh, within that you can be better than most other adventure games and mm. get a lot of credit from the adventure game community but I think for the reason that they struggle with mainstream acceptance, particularly today, is that we've become used to things being more intuitive and yeah and uh, better. Just like this, to a certain extent, games like a lot of mainstream games are dumbed down to the point where you don't need any intelligence to solve them, and that's a bad thing. But there's also a very a much bigger element of just they're better tested and better. The visual language of them is better at communicating what you need to do, and there's a lot of just annoying pointless obstacles removed in most other games and adventure games haven't really found a great way to do that yet mm. 
hidden object games. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that said, though, you know, Walking Dead number three or whatever on Steam charts. Yeah. Like yeah. You said it earlier. And Gemini Ruins. And Gemini Ruins. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think they're, you know, in trouble. <laughs> no, <laughs> in terms of they just made three million dollars for one that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is very true. That's for yeah, that's a good point. Sean Strachan asks: Out of all the awesome titles coming out over the next couple of months, which are you excited about most? Diablo three. Diablo three is two weeks me. away, so that's what's on my yeah. head as well. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Dishonored and Guild Wars two. That's not an obvious answer for me, but yeah. Yeah, Dishonored and Diablo three. Prototype two. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm not ultra ultra excited about it. <laughs> I am excited about it, but like. I'm excited for that to be 80%. <laughs> Tom Dare asks, do you think the £50 price tag will put new players off buying Guild Wars 2? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of people very excited about that game. It's, and they could get away with charging that initially. Yeah, bring they have a huge existing audience. I mean, okay, two questions there. One, will it be a problem for ArenaNet or NCSoft? No. Um, already proven not to be a massive sellout on all the collector's editions and everything. So, mm. And that was 120 quid. Like, you know. Um, you know, I think... Maybe generally because it might put people off because, you know, uh, not having a subscription fee is something you, you can't really see. Like there's no sort of like yeah. tangible benefit to, benefit to you to, to not have it, even though there is. Mm. To it costs you more in your first month. Yeah, it costs you more straight away. And, you know, I kind of hope that the people will kind of to look at the value and hopefully the rest of the game will turn out to be as, as promising as the, what we've seen. But I think it might put people off. I don't think it necessarily should, but that's not a recommendation as yet because we haven't been I, in a position to give that yet. But. I think it's probably not a bad move for them because you don't... I don't think... We're quite based in this old-fashioned way of thinking that you need a good launch week with a game. You mm. need, like, a really That's big true. figure and launch, and that determines all the rest of your success because all of it's, you know, um, publishers and retailers and things. And... Uh, that's not true anymore because everything's digital and also it's particularly not true in MMOs where your game breaks if you have too many people <laughs> in the launch week. So I think it's quite... It'll um, serve them well if there's a high price and no free trial when it launches and then a month later it's a lower price or there is a free trial and then you kind of you pick up all the people you missed the first time yeah, with bring it down. Yeah. a more appealing offer. I think there are a lot of people who are quite educated about Guild Wars. You know, the people yeah. that £50 puts off are the people who oh Guild Wars people are playing that that sounds cool go look at it oh it's Ooh. £50 pounds. oh mm. that's too much yeah. I'm not buying that the kind of people who used to just go into a game store look at the shelves and pick up something because they wanted oh, something to play without, <laughs> without without knowing anything more about it but Guild Wars target audience mm. isn't that they're you know first of all the huge fan base from the first mm. game you know, and that's tens of millions of people because they sold that many copies. But it's also just people who have been reading about Guild Wars 2 for two years, even if they never played the first game. And they know that, hey, this is an MMO that doesn't have a subscription. They've done very well at promoting that fact. Yeah, and also, um, to be fair, there are, you know, console games are pretty much that price all the time. Yeah. And discounts are common and retailers make their own decisions. And, and you know, the price com will come com down. compared to it being exclusively set by, like, like where a subscription fee is exclusively set by the the publisher of the game or the developer of the game, it's, I, I, I think it'll be flexible in the longer run. Mm. Patrick Jameson asks, for people who don't have time to finish Skyrim, what are the best bits to concentrate on? Which is a good question, actually. I know the best place to go, but it might, like, I discovered it by accident and I wouldn't want to spoil that experience to someone who is just <laughs> yeah. explore I would, it. I hate to say it, but I think it, you should do the main quest for a while, not yeah, all the yeah. way through. You can definitely stop, like... Um, when you get to the bit Tom's talking about. Mm. <laughs> After that, you can pretty much stop. Um, but there's stuff like uh, the Unrelenting Force shout. You, the only way to get that is through the main quest, mm. and you should keep playing the main quest till you've got that to level three, because that's just fantastic. That yep. just changes yeah, the whole game. Awesome. What's the best of the guild quest lines? Um, probably the Dark Brotherhood again. Okay. Um, I'm done. 
The Thieves Guild uh, starts out horribly, yeah. like really bad, and you just think, what have they done? This is a total disaster, and it is a bad idea to do it start that way, but it does get better. Um, Companions Guild, quite fine. It's got a yeah, really neat twist a lot, about a lot the way in, than previous games but there's a, a quite a bit that's kind of boring slog mm. through missions and that as well. I would yeah. do the first third of that, and then nothing more. Yeah. Okay. Viv Baker asks, is it... It is raining. What is the best rainy day afternoon game to play? I like on a rainy day. <laughs> uh, one of the Kyles, one of the many Kyles. I think uh, it was one Dabler. of the experimental gameplay project games where I think sh- maybe Shalin Shodan was involved in it. Um, where there's uh, a large, like severed hand coming out of the ground, and the it's coming out of like a flood, and little paper boats drift past. Yep. And hang on, what do you have to do? You have Sounds to like a dream you have and then you pick up. Your okay, friends. you have to pick up severed hands, or they fall from the sky, and you grab them. And then you put the wrist of one severed hand into the palm of the other hand, and it grips it. And you can make trees that way. Wow! And then the tree horrible. umbrellas also fall, and you take the umbrellas and you put those in the hands that are like the branch hands mm. or leaf hands. And then the umbrellas protect the paper boats as they go along in the water, so that the rain can't sink them. <laughs> I'm and going to get the face boats from one side. Which game is that? Uh, okay, great. <laughs> and a bit of a shout. I'm going to go for Sins of a Solar Empire. <laughs> <laughs> How many seven hands are in that? <laughs> none. Well, maybe, but in space, no one can see your seven hands. <laughs> Tom, uh, I might go the other way. It's only really sunny, like uh, Far Cry Two, maybe. Just start on fires. It's kind of enjoy the heat and the warmth yeah. of the world. Just get away from rain. Get malaria. <laughs> you get malaria. Don't go outside. Warm your cockles on the African sun. <laughs> Absolutely. I would go for some deep RPG, something like Planescape Torment with mm-hmm. lots of reading mm-hmm. in it. I always enjoy playing those <laughs> when it's raining outside and you can hear the rain. Nice. I like the sound of rain. Patrick Jameson again asks, I am loving Tribes of Sand. How about you lot and what classes, weapons, strategies do you play? We're loving it a lot. We played a show match and we yeah. kicked ass. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> watch it on the internet. We are pretty okay sometimes <laughs> at that game. We're okay at that game, yeah. I play the infiltrator class, so I sneak into the enemy base, blow up their generator, and then annoy their dudes. Mm. Annoying their dudes is so crucial. Tom? I also like the infiltrator. I haven't really settled on the class yet, but I sometimes play the... Is it the juggernaut with the mortar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because... Uh, with the mortar I don't have to hit anyone <laughs> I can just keep firing yeah, and it'll kill something Chris flags 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 flags. I, I like flags I sort of a pathfinder who is the, the flag grabbing class I learn roots in my spare time what do you think of llama grabs I mm. they um, it's not a topic I appreciate choking on your own rage <laughs> I, uh, I'm choking on my own um, disappointment in humanity every time that happens a llama grab is when one of your teammates takes the enemy flag from a kind of standing start um, rather than letting you sweep in it 250 kilometers an hour and, mm. and then take it yourself in a, in a, in a shower of, of glory and the approval of your peers um, just denying you all of that and uh, it's, it's heartbreaking every time it happens I just I, I, I've uh, I just wish at that point I could um, uh, that person could see my face <laughs> like I want them to I want a little thing pop up in the corner of the screen where they just see a webcam picture pointed picture. at me scowling Chris just my head in my hands like, a single tear yeah no like energy. yeah seriously it's not cool Thomas, um, in our show match, I played Juggernaut, which uh, Tom's been playing, uh, who's super slow, and he stands just on the other other side of a hill and lobs uh, these huge artillery bolts at the enemy base, and that's how he operates. Uh, he's also designed to annoy enemies and take out enemy defences. But I actually prefer the soldier because uh, a lot of the fun of tribes is skiing and getting up some speed. And for me, the soldier is a good balance between having it being quite fast, but also having a decent spin fuser that can kill guys. I think you can have a thumper as a soldier as well, which is mm. which is mm. my favourite weapon in the game. It's kind of a hand a handheld 
grenade launcher pistol thing uh, that lets you just chunk out grenades one every sort of 10 seconds and that's really chunk, satisfying to use. Anyway. Chunk out grenades is entirely the correct chunk, way of yeah, saying it. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. Boggy Layers asks, best PC game music? I can't decide between Grim Fandango and Deus Ex. Yeah, Grim Fandango, Grim Fandango is awesome, yeah. Does it have to be a PC exclusive game? No. Okay. Mafia 2's got really nice music, <laughs> randomly, sorry. Mafia 1 had really good yeah. music Yeah, there you well. go, yeah, Mafia series. I like Bioshock music as mm. well. Yeah. yeah, and that's got lovely sound design as well in terms of being able to hear fingers on the strings of violin. Fallout yeah, 3's cool. licensed music is really good. Yeah, that's good. Desmond Ong asks, is Crisis 3 wise to stick with aliens? No. <laughs> Established. No. No. Matthew Cooksey asks, should more developers be making more use of Kickstarter, etc., to fund projects directly from avid fans? Could they make any more use of Kickstarter? <laughs> <laughs> it's already happened. I'm not sure there's any developers They're left. all doing it. Jay asks, Torchlight 2 or Diablo 3? I think both. One then the other. Just <laughs> mainlining them. Yeah. Just like, yeah, yeah, first. First. Yeah. Jacob Applewhite asks, feeling the need for platform action. Ideas? N, Super Meat Boy, Rayman. Rayman, yeah. That's good. Cobalt? Yeah, Rayman Origins. Kind of, yeah. yeah, okay, Cobalt. Retouraj asks, I want to know if Origin is is as evil as most think and if Steam is as innocent as everyone finds it to be. <laughs> Origin is just a... Uh, yes, everything is as it seems. Go back a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your received opinion is correct. I don't, I don't <laughs> think Origin is evil at all. I think there's some... It just doesn't do anything. Really. Really. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't offer a lot as a to a user mm. as an incentive to use it, except for the fact that there's some quite good games on there like Battlefield 3 and FIFA. With Battlefield 3, I wish I didn't have to launch that game through a browser. But, but that's not actually. Thing. Yeah, that's yeah. actually separate from Origin. Origin yeah. works okay for me. It just doesn't offer me as much as Steam does. Yeah. Steam, I like a lot. It's not innocent. Like we just talked about, there is problems with its customer support and stuff like that. Yeah, and there are. Fix offline mode. Yeah, there are frequent I think horror Steam's stories. Like, but it's not innocent or perfect. It's, in fact, it goes wrong a fair bit. Uh, but it just does enough, like it has mm. enough good things about it that we'll forgive quite a lot. And they keep adding to it all the time. It keeps getting better. Yeah. Stuff like the workshop, it just is... Yeah, it's yeah, a very good example of that, yeah, is a good reason to use Steam over anything else. And that's all the questions we've got, which is good Brilliant. because we have to go back to the office now and do other things. Uh, the current issue of PC Gamer is issue 239. It's on shelves now. It's got Counter-Strike Go on the cover and many other great features inside, though I didn't check by opening it beforehand, so I'm just <laughs> going to fill this dead air until yeah. I open the contest page and tell you that it's got Mists and Pandaria, interviews with Valve, previews of SimCity, and the PC Gamer Olympics if you want to look at all of our chest hairs. It, and that's, oh, that's a lot of chest hair. No, that is a lot of chest, yeah. chest hair. Um, and the next issue is out, I think, on May 11th. Yes. And we can't talk about what's on the cover yet because it's a big reveal Very of exciting. a cool new game which is a strategy game and that's all I'm going to say yep <laughs> but people should be very excited thank you very much for listening everybody Cheers. say bye bye bye